الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتون إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد I think as we're all aware the month of Ramadan is just a matter of a few weeks away and the best way that we can try to prepare for the month of Ramadan is by putting together some kind of plan from now as it relates to both before Ramadan and during Ramadan so the intention from now should be to reflect on what do I want to improve on during Ramadan, what do I want to eliminate from my lifestyle, from my routine, whatever it may be, I should be thinking about that from now. Because when it comes to anything dunya related, we put in the time and the effort to prepare if that thing really matters to us. If there's a really big exam, a person is not going to just wing it, show up, and guess the answers on the test. If they do that, that's a reflection that they don't truly care. But if they really, really want to succeed and do well on that exam, then they're going to prepare well in advance. They're going to put in the time and the effort. They're going to hire a tutor. They're going to take this class and that one. And because that's a sign of how much that matters to them. It shows value when you prepare for something. So because Ramadan is such a momentous opportunity for all of us, 
we should be preparing for it from now. We shouldn't show up to the first night, the first day of Ramadan, and then try to make a thousand changes, and then two, three days later, we're actually further back than they were before, because it was unrealistic from the beginning. But if from now, if we take the approach that our scholars have mentioned over, over the centuries, it's a beautiful example. Two months before Ramadan, so not even one month, subhanAllah, two months before Ramadan, in the month of Rajab, that's when the Muslim focuses on planting the seeds for Ramadan. And then in the month of Sha'ban, that's when they focus on the watering, the cultivation. And then Ramadan is the time of harvest. Ramadan is when we benefit, when we taste the fruit from the effort that we put in, not one month, but ideally even two months beforehand. Now a person may think about this and maybe feel a bit intimidated. What does that mean to prepare two months beforehand? What does that mean to prepare several weeks beforehand? Everyone has their own unique journey as it relates to their relationship with Allah and regarding their path of coming closer to Allah Azza wa It takes a lot of self-awareness for a person to take a step back and think and reflect honestly and genuinely, objectively, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? And then based on that reality, how can I navigate things based on that? And if somebody has a very, everyone has a niche, everyone has a, a special place in their heart for for one specific way of coming closer to Allah. For someone, there may be several good deeds that they do, but they may have a special place in their heart for tahajjud. Someone may have a special place in their heart for fasting. Someone may have a special place in their heart for feeding people, for sadaqah, for whatever it may be. That, it takes self-awareness to take a step back and think and reflect, okay, what are my strengths? And then how can I lean into them? And then what are the challenges? What are the, the weaknesses? And then how can I, little by little, work on those as well? The prophetic way, the prophetic methodology of the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is very practical. It's very, very, very down to earth. It's very simple. And then over time, you find the, 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 the early converts of the Sahaba, they convert to Islam. And the Prophet does not overwhelm them. Sometimes we do this. We're not supposed to do that. Little by little by little. When you look at Isra'ul Mi'raj, that wasn't in year one or two or three. That was a decade later. After Iqra. Allah Azza wa Jal gave the early Muslim community time to grow. Allah allowed them time and space to breathe. And to grow within their faith. To grow within their practice. Sayyidah Aisha herself, think of who she is. She mentioned, she wasn't just a wife of the Prophet even though that's an extremely high status, no question. The mothers of the believer. She was also an incredible scholar. And she mentioned something profound that we should keep in mind regarding ourselves and other people. Sometimes we can find it easy to be kind to others, but we may struggle with self-compassion. What does Sayyidah Aisha say anha? She said that if early on, when the Qur'an was being sent to the Prophet if initially there was a prohibition regarding alcohol, then people, they would have said, we're never going to stop drinking. They would have said, this is impossible. If early on there was a command to avoid zina, then the people, they would have said that this is impossible, we can't do this. So Sayyidah Aisha, think of who she is. She's saying this primarily as a scholar, as a faqiha. She's saying that there was a specific methodology on God's part 
regarding the step-by-step -step revelation of the Qur'an. What did Allah focus on first for several years, for over a decade, in the Meccan period? The majority of the Qur'an was revealed in Mecca. The majority of the Qur'an, holistically, even including the Medinan portion, is largely focused on your taqwa, your relationship with Allah. You have some verses here and there regarding ahkam, regarding rulings. They have their time and their place. The majority of them were in Medina, because if you're going to have a civilization, it has to be civilized. You have to have rules and regulations. You need to have some kind of boundaries and parameters. And even then, it was little by little by little. So she said that if early on this was prohibited people, they would have said that this is impossible. And she gave a couple examples. She specifically mentioned alcohol, she specifically mentioned zina. She said, rather, when the Qur'an was being sent down, Allah focused on the foundation. Allah focused on Tawheed, La ilaha illallah. Allah focused on the Day of Judgment. Allah focused on the Hereafter. Allah focused on Jannah and Jahannam. Allah set the stage first, before other ayats came down. And even when they came down, I'll take the example of alcohol. Look at the first ayah that's, that Allah mentions in the Qur'an regarding alcohol in Medina. What does, what does this ayah say? There's a lot that we can benefit from this. Allah mentions, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ This is extremely important for us to process and understand. What does this ayah say at the beginning? They ask you, they, the friends of the Prophet, the companions of the Prophet, community members, they ask you, عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ They ask you regarding intoxicants and gambling. And Allah tells the Prophet to say what? Does Allah tell the Prophet to say, it's haram, it's forbidden, you have to avoid it completely, this is such a terrible thing? No. They came to the Prophet asking him this question. And how did the Prophet respond with Allah's words? They came looking for guidance. They're sincere, they've already proven their sincerity, you don't survive the Meccan period without a very deep connection to your Iman. Look at the stories of, of what they went through from Bilal Abdullah bin Mas'ud getting beat up for being the first person to recite Qur'an publicly. And ironically, what surah does he start reciting? Ar-Rahman Allama Qur'an. He recites about how merciful Allah is. Allah is the most merciful and He's the one who taught the Qur'an, created the human being, taught him speech. This beautiful surah of Rahma, he's the first one to recite Qur'an publicly, and they literally jump him, they nearly kill him. And then when he's recovering, other companions, they're telling him, like, you know, please don't do that again, you almost died. He said, he said, that's not going to stop me. He had this motivation, he had this himma, he had this, this feeling that I feel so connected to my identity as a Muslim, I want to share this with the world. When the Prophet ﷺ, he's being choked, he's nearly being killed in Mecca. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr is, is intervening and asking the people attacking the Prophet, are you going to kill him? Because he says, my Lord is Allah. The exact words that the, another person mentioned centuries before, Mu'min Ali Fir'aun, the believer from the family of Fir'aun. He said the same words. When he's asking Fir'aun and the cabinet of people, are you going to kill Musa in that context just because he says, my Lord is Allah? 
There, there are so many examples that we can give. Even then, as committed and as sincere as they were, it was not the time. They're literally struggling to survive. The first migration in Islamic history was not to Medina. It was to East Africa. It was to Habasha. And what, what did the Prophet say specifically about that land? There's a just king. No one is wronged in his kingdom. No one is wronged in his kingdom. So they go there. And, they, and, and even then, Quraysh, some of them follow them. Amr ibn As, he actually had a personal relationship with the Najashi, his title, Ashama, the king of, of Habasha at that time, modern-day Eritrea and Ethiopia. Amr ibn al-As, he, he's a very savvy political leader within Quraysh. You would think that the response of Quraysh would be, okay, the Muslims, they're gone. They saw them as a disease in society. You, th you would think that their approach would be, okay, good, they're gone, good riddance. It wasn't enough for them to leave, they followed them there. And they tried negotiating with the king. And it seemed like it was working, but he heard both sides of the story. And he said, no, I would never give you up. Because he recognized the truth in the message. Also look at the connection of the Sahaba to the Qur'an. Surah Maryam was revealed just before that. So it just so happened that Sayyidina Jafar an elder brother of Sayyidina Ali first cousin of the Prophet he, he, he's ready when he presents what Islam is. And he mentions we used to do this and this and this, all these bad things, and now we do this, and now we, our ethics have changed, our morals have changed for the better. And he recites the initial verse of Surah Maryam. And Najashi weeps. Look at Ja'far, not knowing what was going to happen, when Surah Maryam was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, he, he, he's quick, he wants to absorb it, he wants to drink from the spring of the Qur'an. So he quickly connects with it. And then it just so, look at how clutch it was, it just so happens, he already had these ayah, and he recited them, and secretly, Najashi would become Muslim. Because there was, there was incredible uh, political pressure. The point is, Little by little by little, slow and steady wins the race. Little by little by little. In Medina, even when Sahaba, they come to the Prophet asking him about these two things, intoxicants and gambling. The response of Allah, Allah tells the Prophet, say, there's both good and bad in them, but there's more bad than good. And that's it. This is step one. Just think about it. There's more bad than good in these things. There's good. There's also bad. And actually, the bad outweighs the good. Allah left it there. It was a seed. Think about it. And then what was the next step? Don't pray when you're intoxicated. And they felt this deep connection with their prayer. They, they don't want to compromise their prayer. Okay, so let's delay it until after Aisha. Let's delay it until, until way later. That was the next step. And then finally, when it's prohibited... Largely, as a community, they were ready. And even then, after it was prohibited, even then you still had Sahaba struggling with addiction. It's a human struggle. And when one Sahabi in particular, he kept getting in trouble because, because by this point it's, it's made haram, legally it's forbidden, so on and so forth. So he, he keeps stumbling. He's struggling with his addiction. A Sahabi is struggling with alcoholism. Radiyallahu anhu. He falls and he gets in trouble, he gets in trouble, he gets in trouble. 
Then after that happens several times, another companion says something like very, very, very harsh to him because he kept struggling with his addiction. And the Prophet is there, alayhi salatu What do you think the Prophet responded with? The Prophet, responded with something that we should all think about, process, internalize, and reflect upon. The Prophet, alayhi he responds by saying, don't help shaitan against your brother when he's down. I know that he loves Allah and his messenger. What would you give for the Prophet himself to bear witness that you love Allah and his messenger? The Prophet is not justifying it. If, if, if there are laws that need to be followed, they need to be followed for the greater good of society. But this is a concept of hate the sin, not the sinner. In fact, the Prophet said something about the sinner that was praiseworthy. I love, he loves Allah and his messenger. Another example, we know when, when a man came to the Prophet and he asked him, when, when is Sa'a? when is the Day of Judgment? Think of how many times the Prophet has been asked this question mockingly. This man is asking it sincerely, but even then, this question must have been a type of trigger for the Prophet Go through the Qur'an, many different places, the Prophet was mocked by Quraysh in Mecca, over and over, they ask you about the hour. When is the hour? When is the hour? When is the hour? You keep talking about this really important thing called the Day of Judgment. Okay, when is it? So this man, he comes to the Prophet and he asks him, Ya Rasul, as a Muslim, Ya Rasulullah, when is the hour? And what does the Prophet do? He, he, he brings the discussion from theory down to practice. What have you prepared for it? That's really what matters. What have I prepared for? And what did this man respond with? Something that I think many of us can relate to. Either in the past, maybe in the present. He says, I don't have much regarding prayer. I don't have much regarding fasting, regarding charity. But I love Allah and His Messenger. And the Prophet responded by saying, You will be with who you love. You will be with who you love, So I want us to think and reflect. From now, what are we preparing for Ramadan? What kind of seeds can we plant now? How are we preparing our hearts for that blessed month? What can we do from now to plant seeds little by little by little? It's not about change the Qur'an. Literally, it was not sent to the Prophet in a day. And the Qur'an actually mentions this. Some people mockingly in Mecca, they mock the Prophet, they say, well, they, they always had to nitpick and look. If there's no problem, they have to create a problem for there to be a problem. So they mock him and they ask him, why, why isn't this Qur'an sent to you all at once? Surah Qur'an mentions this, Surah 25. Why is it this Qur'an? Why does it matter? You're not accepting it anyways. But they're, they're just constantly you know, poking and prodding and they're, they're just out to cause problems. Why isn't the Qur'an sent to you all at once? And Allah responds, In order to strengthen you, Ya Rasulullah, step by step by step by step. Sometimes we, we take the approach, whether with ourselves, with other people, whether they're converts or otherwise, we expect, Iqra' day one, Day two. 
This is the last ayah revealed regarding Ahkam 23 years later. Sahaba were given over a decade and a half until alcohol was made haram. It's understood, yes, these things are haram, but the point is we need to have a deep sense of wisdom when we're dealing with people. And the Prophet did this. He dealt with people based on where they were at, not based on where he was at, So let's approach Ramadan, prepare for Ramadan, realistically, based on, okay, where am I at now? It's a struggle. Try to leave the self-loathing to the side. Try to, it's difficult. Leave that to the side. Realistically, where am I at now? What's the next baby step that I can take? When you plant a seed, if you give it too little water, it's going to die. If you give it too much water, it's going to die. But if you give it the perfect amount, that seed will grow into a beautiful tree. That acorn will eventually turn into an oak tree. But it has to be the right methodology. The Prophet compared the believer to a tree. Allah compares la ilaha illallah to a tree. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. We ask Allah to guide us and I want to conclude with an action item that I want to request from each of you, but it's not on behalf of me. It's on behalf of our brothers and sisters in West Africa. I flew out all the way here from California to seek your support to help them. I'm here on behalf of Ihsan Foundation for West Africa, and this specific project is called the Ihsan General Hospital. Right now, in the entire country of Sierra Leone, bear in mind it's majority Muslim, 80% Muslim. You have two dentists in the entire country, millions of people dentists. It has the highest infant mortality rate in the world. SubhanAllah. Right now, there are three hospitals in the country. One is established by another faith group, and the two others are established by other governments, basically, non-Muslim. When you contribute to this, first of all, you're contributing to help people, and the way that the hospital is going to be run is going to be with the ethos that hospitals were initially su supposed to be run with in the first place. The first hospitals in human history were established by Muslims. And they provided health care for free to people, Muslim or non-Muslim. Male, female, old, young, it doesn't matter. You're sick, how can we help you? To live the ayah, You're the best ummah sent forth to go to people, do good, prevent bad. Believe in Allah. This is one of the rare ayahs in the Qur'an. Allah mentions action before iman. When you give to establishing this type of initiative, you are literally influencing and impacting the entire country. And that's the legacy that we want to leave. So I invite you, as preparation before the month of Ramadan, plant to seed through this project. Give any amount. Never, never, don't listen to shaitan. Shaitan will come to you, oh, you can only give X amount, whatever it may be. Oh, don't give, no, 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 make your niyyah to give. Make your niyyah to give now. So I ask you to please stop by the table. I ask you to give me a few moments after the prayer 
We ask Allah to make things easy. We ask Allah to help them. We ask Allah to help us to help them because we're supposed to be an ummah of action. We ask Allah to bring this project to fruition. We ask Allah to make us Muslims who live the ayah of being the best ummah sent forth to benefit mankind. May Allah help us to live the ayah as best we can say, Ameen. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah to give us tawfiq. We ask Allah to help us to come closer to Him. We ask Allah to help us to come closer to His book, the Quran. And we ask Allah to help us to come closer to the Prophet We ask Allah to... From now, Allahumma balighna Ramadan, Allah allow us to reach Ramadan and make it fruitful for all of us in Rabbil Alameen. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasna, fi al-akhirati hasna, fi al-adhaba nar. Rabbana la tu'akhidna in nasina aw akhtana. Rabbana wa la tahmil alayna isran kama hamaltahu ala al-ladhina min qablina. Rabbana wa la tuhammilna ma la taqata lana bihi wa'fu anna. Wa'fu firlana wa'rhamna anta maulana tanansurna ala al-qawm al-kafirin wa'afimus.